Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2012. Titled, Growing in Christ, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 8, November 17-23, to The Church in Service to Humanity. Sabbath afternoon, November 17. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again this week and we thank you for it. As we do so, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made that each one of us could have eternal life. And as we open your word, we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text this week is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Let's read that again, 1 Timothy three fourteen and 15. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And our key thought for this week actually comes from Ellen White, from Selected Messages, Book 2, page 396, A Short Sentence. We should remember that the church, enfeebled and defective though it be, is the only object on earth on which Christ bestows his supreme regard. For many, church isn't what it used to be, whatever that was. Some people even talk about a churchless Christianity, a concept that is self-contradictory. Others rail against organised religion. What is better, disorganised religion? The Bible teaches clearly about the importance of the church. It's not an option. It's a crucial component in the plan of salvation. No wonder then that, as the great controversy unfolds, Satan works so hard against it, especially because the church is one important means by which sinners are brought into contact with God's offer of salvation. The church, wrote Paul, was the house of God, even the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 The church is not a human invention. It was created by God for the purposes of bringing erring sinners into a saving relationship with Him. Sunday, November 18, Nature of the Church, Part 1 When we speak about the nature of something, we are usually interested in its origins, function and purpose. Besides providing several images to depict the church, the Bible uses a particular word in reference to it, ecclesia, which means called out or called forth. In secular Greek life, the word was used primarily to describe a group of citizens who had been called out from their homes into a public place for an assembly or gathering. The New Testament uses the word in this general sense. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, 
The congregation of Israel, especially when gathered before the Lord for religious purposes, is referred to as Ecclesia. The Jews were called out to be God's special people, but the early Christians may have used the word to identify those Jews and Gentiles who, as recipients of God's grace, had been called out to be Christ's witnesses. In the New Testament, the Church describes the company of the faithful the world over. It's important to note that the word ecclesia is never used with reference to a building in which public worship is conducted. Equally significant is that whereas the word synagogue originally denoted an assembly of people gathered for a specific purpose, the Christians preferred to use the word ecclesia. Nevertheless, both words indicate that the New Testament church was in historical continuity with the Old Testament church, the Congregation of Israel. Question. The word Ecclesia indicates in general terms a group of people called out through God's initiative. How does this explain Paul's use of the word at three different levels? One, the church in individual homes, Romans 16.5, 1 Corinthians 16.19. Two, the church in specific cities, 1 Corinthians 1.2, Galatians 1.2. And three, the church in larger geographical areas in Acts 9.31. Well, first of all, let's look at Romans chapter 16, verse 5. The church in individual homes. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Apennicus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. And on the same theme, we have... 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla, greet you heartily in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. And for 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, this is the church in specific cities, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And in the same view, Galatians chapter 1 verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And finally, the church in larger geographical areas. Acts 9 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Ecclesia is the depiction of any group of people gathered together who share in a saving relationship with Christ. This means that individual congregations are not just a part of the whole church. Each unit represents the whole. Furthermore, The church is one throughout the whole world, but at the same time present in each assembly. So, to finish today, think about your local church, which functions as a representative of God's whole church. What kind of responsibilities does that place on you as part of the church body and on the local church itself? Monday, November 19, Nature of the Church, Part 2. 
Beside the word ecclesia itself, the New Testament describes the church with several images that further explain its nature and function. Today we will look at just two crucial concepts regarding the church. The church as the people of God and the church as the body of Christ. Question 1. The people of God as a concept is applied to the Bible to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 14 verse 2. Read First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, where the concept is clearly applied to Christians. How are we to understand what this means for us today? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Notice that even as the concept is applied to Christians, it is still used to describe the nation of Israel. Luke chapter 1 and verse 68 shows us this. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And Romans chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying? And evidently, the New Testament applies the concept to the church in a way that suggests continuity and consummation. We read about this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Question. Body of Christ. Romans 12.5 and 1 Corinthians 12.27 and Ephesians 1.22 and 23 depict the church as the body of Christ. How do these texts help us to understand better its nature and function? First of all, Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And Ephesians chapter 1. And verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Numerous ideas can be found within these texts, perhaps the most obvious one being the unity, as we'll see in Wednesday's lesson, that should be seen in the church. This is an idea expressed elsewhere in the New Testament, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul writes, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? First Corinthians twelve, twelve to 17 
To finish today, some people suffer from what are known as autoimmune diseases. Their own immune system, which is supposed to protect the body, attacks it instead. Think about the complications of this analogy for the church as the body of Christ. Tuesday, November 20, the mission of the church. The church as the body of Christ means that the church is to do what Christ would do if he were still on the earth bodily. It is for this reason that the church as an assembly has been called out. The church does not simply have a mission. The church is mission. Question. Read Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. How does it address the issue of the church's mission? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mission involves sending people out to speak for God. It is what God himself did with the prophets of Israel. And with the apostles. Jesus also sent out his disciples just as the Father had sent him. The church today can do no less and still remains faithful to its calling. Question. What do the following texts also teach us about the church's mission? First of all, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And Matthew chapter 10 and verses 5 to 8. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And James 1 And verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Clearly, evangelism is central to the mission of the church. The church exists also for the edification of believers, for the promotion of true worship, and for engagement in matters of social concern. Though the church faces many challenges, one of the most difficult is to keep a proper balance in its understanding of mission. On one hand, it would be so easy to get caught up in social reform and in working for the betterment of society and its ills. 
While that work is important in and of itself, it must never be allowed to swallow up the ultimate mission of the church, which is to reach the lost for Jesus and to prepare people for his return. At the same time, too, we need to avoid the extreme of living as if every headline signalled the end of the world and thus neglect the basic tasks of daily life. We need divine wisdom in order to know how to strike the right balance. So, to finish today, how involved are you in the mission of the church? In what way could you do more than you are doing? Why is it important for your own spiritual growth to be involved in the church's calling? Wednesday, November 21, Unity of the Church. The Church depicted as the called out of God, the people of God, the body of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit is fitted for service or mission. Unity is essential to the Church because without it the Church cannot successfully accomplish its mission. It is no wonder that the issue of unity was on Christ's mind toward the close of his earthly life. Question. Jesus prayed for the unity of the church in John seventeen twenty one and 22. Paul exhorted the believers about it in Romans fifteen five and 6. How are we to understand unity as it is expressed in these texts? What does this unity mean? Well, first of all, John chapter 17, verses 21 and 22. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. And Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. We'll have that in a second. Romans chapter 15. 15 verses 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The unity that Christ prayed for and that Paul exhorted the believers to attain clearly involved a union of feeling, thought, action and much more. It is not a harmony that is achieved through social engineering, diplomatic management or political subterfuge. It is a gift bestowed upon believers by the indwelling Christ and kept by the power of God the Father. Question. Read 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10 and 2 Corinthians 13 verse 11. How are we to achieve what Paul calls for in these texts? 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you will all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, 
and the God of love and peace will be with you. There is no question that we are all different people and that we have different views regarding many things, views that can at times make unity difficult. Though stresses and strains are inevitable at every level of the church, we all need to keep an attitude of humility, self-denial and a desire for a good that is greater than ourselves. So many of the divisions that arise do so because of selfishness, pride and the desire to exalt oneself and one's views over others. None of us has it all right. None of us understands all things perfectly. Whatever the inevitable differences that will arise, were we all to daily take up our crosses, daily die to self, daily seek not only our own good, but the good of others and the good of the church as a whole, so many of the problems with which we struggle and which hinder the work would vanish. In short, unity begins with each one of us, individually, as followers of Christ, not just in name, but in a life of true self-sacrifice, a life dedicated to a cause and a good greater than ourselves. Thursday, November 22, Governance of the Church Governance means getting things done. This is true of general social life, and it is also true of church life. Governance also involves organisation, which means the organising of things into a functioning, coherent whole with rules, regulations and structures designed to facilitate a task at hand. Authority is also critical to governance. At the practical level of church life, who has authority to authorise things and who can be authorised to do things? Different answers to these questions have led to different forms of church governance. Seventh-day Adventists have a representative system of church governance. Ideally, leadership acts only as representatives, receiving delegated authority and responsibilities from the membership. It is not simply enough to show that a system of church governance is based on Scripture. The exercise of authority within the system must demonstrate sensitivity to biblical values. Question. Look at Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 29. What can we learn from these verses about some key principles that are involved in church organisation and governance? Beginning at verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren... Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel 
and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Whatever we can learn from these verses about church governance, one point should be clear. Church organization needs to be centered around advancing the spread of the gospel. Biblical church governance is only as good as its promotion of mission and evangelism. We need to remember too that though Christ exercises his authority through his church and its appointed officials, he has never handed over his power to them. He retains the leadership the headship of the church. Ephesians 1.22 The early church was conscious of the fact that it could not exercise any authority independently of Christ and his word. In Acts 15.28 it was important to the assembly that what is decided seemed good to the Holy Spirit, the true representative of Christ. Holders of offices in the church today cannot act differently. Question. Consider Matthew chapter 20 and verses 24 to 28.
and 23 verse 8. What implications is there for the exercise of authority in the church at all levels? Matthew 20, 24 to 28. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 8, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. To finish today, how willing are you to serve others? Think deeply about your own motives and what they are in regard to what you do in the church, regardless of whatever position you might hold. What are these motives, and how can they be more in harmony with the principles revealed in the Word? Friday, November 23, from the book Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers, page 362, if a man is sanguine of his own powers and seeks to exercise dominion over his brethren, feeling that he is invested with authority to make his will the ruling power, the best and only safe course is to remove him, lest great harm be done and he lose his own soul and imperil the souls of others. This disposition to lord it over God's heritage will cause a reaction unless these men change their course. A man's position does not make him one jot or tittle greater in the sight of God. It is character alone that God values. And from Testimonies for the Church, volume 3, page 381, the mission of the Church of Christ is to save perishing sinners. It is to make known the love of God to men and to win them to Christ by the efficacy of that love. The truth for this time must be carried into the dark corners of the earth and this work may begin at home. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. There is no question that the church, our church, has problems. Jesus explained it as such in Matthew thirteen twenty-four to 25 the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Read the rest of the parable. How do we apply what Jesus said to our church about the way in which we deal with those who cause problems? Does this mean that there are no circumstances under which someone could be disfellowshipped? 2. What do you say to someone who, believing the church is corrupt, decides to pull away from the body as a whole and go it alone? 3. Our church affirms the notion of what has been called the priesthood of all believers. What does this idea include? What responsibilities does the idea carry for us? 4. Discuss in class some of the potential threats to our unity as a church. What issues have caused division in the church in the past? What can we learn from the past that can help to prevent similar things from happening in the future?
Inside Story A Changed Heart 14-year-old Veressa listened as the doctor spoke to his parents. Veressa has a hole in his heart, but surgery can repair his heart and help him live a normal life. Veressa tried not to worry about the surgery. He just wanted to be well. Veressa's surgery was a success. His parents couldn't stay with him while he recovered in the hospital, so his nurse stopped by often to chat. Veressa looked forward to her visits and enjoyed hearing her talk about Jesus and read him promises from the Bible. Veressa had grown up attending church every Sunday, but he had never heard some of the things that his nurse talked about. A particular stood out in his mind. The seventh day is the Sabbath day. When Veressa returned home, he went to the nearby Seventh-day Adventist church. He wasn't sure what his parents would think of his going to this church. Veressa met the pastor and asked him questions about the Sabbath and other things that his faithful nurse had taught him. One day, Veressa told his parents that he had been attending the Seventh-day Adventist church. They were stunned when he told them that he wanted to become a Seventh-day Adventist. Why would you leave our church? they asked. He tried to explain that he wasn't leaving their church, he was following God's way. If you insist on attending this church, his father said, then leave our home. Sadly, Veressa packed his few clothes and his school books and walked to the Seventh-day Adventist church. He told the pastor that his parents had sent him away. You can live with us, the pastor said. Veressa stayed with the pastor for several months, during which time he joined the church through baptism. Every Sabbath he walked by his family's home on the way to and from church. He prayed for his parents, who refused to discuss his faith. One day, Veressa's parents asked the pastor to send their son home. Gladly, Veressa returned home, and his parents welcomed him back. They didn't try to change his mind about his beliefs. Veressa shared his faith with them, and his parents began keeping the Sabbath. But they have not made a decision to become Seventh-day Adventists. I hope that one day soon we can worship together again, this time in the Adventist faith, Veressa says. Pray for Veressa and his family, and remember that your mission offerings help to give people around the world an opportunity to hear God's truths and accept his love into their lives. Veressa shares his faith in Fiji, an island nation in the South Pacific. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.